what do you want to do tonight, Dan? I don't know, Mike. What do you feel like doing tonight? I don't know. You want to do a podcast? I don't know. You go ahead. We did a podcast last week. I don't feel like doing a podcast tonight. All right. Tonight's episode is, of course, Marty, uh, based uh, directed by Dilbert Mann, based on the teleplay uh, by Patty Kayevsky and starring the immor- immortal Ernest Borgnine. Dan, you have a story of why we're doing Marty. I have a story and a half of why we're doing Marty. So back in May, when we were recording last season, Mike and I, as you know, we, 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 we try to do as many interesting shows as we can. And sometimes we do these things called one shots, which are mini episodes based upon, you know, something we just, we just happen to come across. Well, I was listening to Jeffrey Tambor, the great actor, Jeffrey Tambor. He has a great podcast called Acting Schmacting. And he had an episode where he interviewed David Mamet. Mike and I are both great admirers of David Mamet. I sent it to Mike. I said, you got to listen to this. And we did a one-shot episode on Jeffrey Tambor's interview with David Mamet. One of Jeffrey's, um, as if if he's a best pal of mine, but one of Jeffrey Tambor's great things he says on the show all the time for young actors is, you have to get off the worry couch. You got to take your chances. And that was a big theme of his Mamet interview was that, you know, just stop it and stop making excuses and stop complaining. You got to go out there and take your chances. So inspired by that, I, I went on the website for his podcast. I emailed Jeffrey Tambor on behalf of Mike and I, and I said, we have this show, 15-Minute Film Fanatics. We'd love to have you come on and talk about some of your favorite performances. Never expected an answer. I texted Mike, and Mike's like, oh, that's kind of funny. Right? So about, I don't know, like, like five hours later, um, all of a sudden, I get an email back from Jeffrey Tambor, and it says, hi, Dan, thanks for your kind note. Uh, do you have a phone number at which you can be reached? So I instantly, as Michael attest, start texting Mike, say, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this, right? So I, I email him back. You know, here's my phone number. That's great. I tell everyone in the house, if the phone rings, don't make any noise. 20 minutes later, the phone rings. I pick it up. I say, hello. And I hear, hello, this is Jeffrey Tambor. And I, I couldn't believe it. And we had this great, great conversation where he talked about the podcast. He actually listened to the episode. It was so unbelievable. It turned out that the reason he emailed me was because he he wanted to say that, you know, he couldn't come on the show because of his schedule, which made, you know, of course, perfect sense. But he didn't want to just send what would seem like a form email or, or a quick response. He actually wanted to have a conversation with me about the show and about reaching out to him. It was, it was very, very stand up. I did not, I, I, I held back. I did not say, please say, Hey, now, please say, Hey, now, please say, Hey, now I didn't do it. Um, I, I was, I was kind of starstruck actually. And Mike's like looking at me right now on, on the zoom call laughing. Um, I was it's totally- like Tom Cruise called you. It, exactly. exactly. Um, so I was totally starstruck. And during that conversation, I said, well, what what movies would you like us to do? And the first movie he said was Marty. He said, I'd love you to do Marty. And I said, oh, that's a great choice. Why? And he said, because Marty showed me what an actor can do. So we just want to say thank you so much, Jeffrey Tambor. This episode is dedicated to you. We hope we do the movie justice because we know it's one of your favorites. It was a wonderful suggestion. And you can clearly see why this is one of those films where the it has a great ensemble cast and there's there's other noteworthy people in it. But really, the success or failure of the movie hinges on one actor's performance. And Ernest Borgnine really carries the movie. So in our first segment, we always talk about our, our overall take on it. Right. So Mike and I have both seen this many, many times. Right. So, Mike, what what's your one of your big statements about it? What is it about this film that, that draws you to it? I think that it really balances the viewer's empathy with giving them satisfaction, right? The, the the perfect Hollywood formula is to have everything end okay. And I think that we all feel we all feel for Marty and we feel with Marty, 
but we leave satisfied as an audience because he's met his match. Uh, and, and it's, it's, he's met his match in a realistic and satisfying way. And I think that that has a lot to do with Patty Kayevsky's script, but it certainly has to do with Ernest Borgnine's uh, transformation in the movie. It's not exactly beauty and the beast. He's not like a beast that becomes human at the end of the film. He's just, he's, he's Marty who is a little bit less Marty than he was. Uh, but there's something satisfying about his love. Yeah, it reminded me of watching it again. And I watched it uh, last night again for the show. It reminded me of some of our favorite movies. It certainly reminded me of The Apartment. Doesn't it remind you of The Apartment? Yeah, it does. Same, term- same satisfaction at the ending. Yeah, and, and and the same vision of like loneliness in a big city, right? It reminded me of when he has to call uh, uh, Mary Feeney on the phone. And there's that great monologue that reminded me of De Niro calling Sybil Shepherd and Taxi Driver. You know, that the painful, you know, where you don't hear the other end. One of the things that I like about Marty is it's it's less clever than both of those movies. Yes. I love the apartment and I and I enjoy the cleverness in the apartment. Uh, but you can sense Patty Kayevsky almost and he's a clever guy, right? So 100 percent we, we, lo- we love we love his movies. Love you know him. what he's capable of, but it's as though he knows that any of that cleverness is going to distract from the emotional impact. And you can feel him as a writer just moving stuff out of the way. That's how I feel. A hundred percent, because the third thing I said that this movie reminds me of, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of, of why the Honeymooners is so good. Can, can you follow me on that? <laughs> yes. Like, so so let, let me see. What would you say? What's Decluttering. The don't don't yep. distract from right. the formula. <laughs> right. You know what you know what the formula is. You know what the emotional impact is. And, right. you, and you know how to produce it. We don't have to get really clever. It's Alice's mother is coming over. Done. That's that's the whole thing we need, right? It's 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 like when a when a, a material conducts electricity, it's not necessarily it's it's not um something that you add to it. It's that there's nothing obstructing the flow. A hundred percent. And that's why I think this movie's so emotional. I mean, I thought like you could line up the the toughest, you know, Navy SEALs and and show them this movie, and every one of them, their lips will start quivering when when she says, you know, I think you're a good butcher. Or when when he when he tells the story about how he was gonna kill himself, like there's no way anybody could watch that and not get choked up because it's so it, you're right, it's so raw, it's not clever, it's not self-aware, it's just unbelievably great writing and great acting. There are certain things that are theatrical about it. There are certain sets about it um this has struck me in a couple of other movies that we've done before but like for example the the deck of marty's house the, yeah. the outside porch um that that's a that's a great place even the the streets that they walk down uh there's in, in other words there's movies that do things that only movies can do this is doing what a play does but but brilliantly well right yeah. the, i mean the thing that stage actors say about film actors all the time is that of course anybody can do it one time or just stare into the camera you know, or be Cary Grant or something and let you f- film me, but there's something raw about what happens in a stage. And I think that part of the brilliance of this movie, part of Dilbert Mann's direction is to capture that same atmosphere, uh, but but in a movie and on a screen. Yeah, and you wonder today, because it, it's so, you know, it's 90 minutes in and out, right? It's it's so sparse, but so powerful. And I thought to myself, well, well, why, what would this be like if it were, if someone tried to make it today? And I thought, you know, I think it would get too clever. It would get, too, there would be too much money on it, right? You would get, um, I thought like, you know, you'd get like Steve Carell and Jessica Chastain kind of like made to look plainer or homier than they really are. But it, you, you'd be able to see through it because you would always know that it was Jessica Chastain or Steve Carell or something. Are you, are you saying Ernest Borgnine is believed? ugly. Well, I'm saying, yes, maybe I am. Maybe I am. But I mean, at least you know what it is. It's kind of like everyone loves the opening scene. Like, what are we going to do tonight? What do you feel like doing tonight? Like, that's so famous because, first of all, you never see that in movies. In movies, everyone always has something to do on Saturday night. You never watch people who have nothing to do on Saturday night. 
what what's the most recorded line through all of movies in English of all time? Let's get out of here. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, right. So we're close, right? So it's let's go somewhere, but they have nowhere to go. He's reading the paper. He's angry and things like that. So just as you never see that in films, you also see never you never see people that look like Ernest Borgnine. Okay, so welcome back to part two. Of course, we like to talk about key scenes, our favorite moments that are indicative of the of the film as a whole. Dan, why don't you kick it off? So I'd like to talk for a minute about, you know, what what I mentioned Jeffrey Tambor said before about acting and about Ernest Borgnine's performance and why it's so powerful. You know, um, about three minutes in, uh, you know, Marty's at the butcher shop, but oh, your little brother got married. Oh, yeah, it was a very nice affair. He's being very nice to people. And that woman comes in and tells Marty, I want a nice four pound pullet. And she repeats the thing about his kid brother. And he says, oh, yeah, it was a real nice affair. And then, of course, like everyone in the neighborhood, they just start giving him grief for not being married. And not only do they say, oh, you know, how can we don't find a girl? She says, you want to be ashamed of yourself. You want to be ashamed of yourself. And Delbert Mann shows us Marty Turan to the cash register. He doesn't show her as she's talking. We get to see his face. And the way that Ernest Borgnine punches the numbers on the cash register is so good because you could tell, like, he makes a face. He's not, he's got to hear this again, but he's got it. He can't say anything. And just the way he actually works the cash register shows you that, that he's got this anger about his life, but it only comes out in really small doses, right? And he's not going to be Marlon Brando in Streetcar. You know, it's like proof rock. I am not Marlon Brando, nor was meant to be. Um, Although ironically, you know, there were studio executives who did want Brando to play that part, who would be totally wrong. But anyway, I think what's great about Borgnine's performance is that he's not this um, this mope, is that you do get at several points in the movie him holding back and getting little glimpses of his anger, right? So like in the first scene, like, what do you want to do tonight? And and, and Ange says, let's go, let's go out. It's Saturday night. And he's like, uh, I've been looking for a girl every Saturday night for the last whatever. I'm tired. And he kind of like, whoa, oh, oh. And then remember when it, he's eating the spaghetti and his mother's giving him grief, right? He gets really angry and all of a sudden, and then he just reaches over and touches her hand. And I think playing angry is easier for an actor, like exploding and, and is, is you, know, um, you know, overdoing it. That's easy to show us somebody holding in and holding back. I think, I think Ernest Borgnine is so good at that and has such great skill in this film that, that you get to sense Marty's inner life in these little glimpses, just like, just like a regular person. Well, and that, of course, that's intuitive, right? Because we all know how to fly right. into a rage. Nobody <laughs> right. needs instruction on how to fly into a, into a rage. But as you become more mature, you understand and you become aware of your own anger. Right. So it, it makes sense that the, you know, the easiest thing to do would be to have, you know, uh, a Brando meltdown. Yeah. Uh, you know, it may, it, it, he's inimitable, but that's, you, you get that that's not what I mean, but, but, um, but being able to, to portray those things, uh, the subtlety of that performance yeah. is, is, is it's unbelievable. really inspiring. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. So what's your moment? So that was, that was my moment because that struck me as one of the, one of the great moments in the movie talk about things only movies can do that plays can't. Uh, I really like the way that her voice, that the lady's voice becomes disem disembodied oh, literally yeah. um, in, in the shot. So uh, points for Dilbert man, my runner up moment is uh, when Marty uh, is alone in the house with her and his, and her mo his mom comes in. So he's finally doing what the community and his mom wants him to do. But uh, but all of a sudden it's become something very scandalous and he's got to make uh, he's got to start making uh, excuses for why they're in the house, what they're going to do, how long she's going to be there. And and everybody's totally embarrassed. But again, nobody can state their feelings. And I think that uh, it's a, it's a brilliant moment because it, it shows one of the themes of the film, which is that Marty really can't win. 
right? What right. your what your parents actually want um, is, is a baby who grows up immediately but never leaves, right? right? And and that's that's what they want out of Marty. They want him to be become a mature member of the community but never step outside the bounds. And so he's he's walking around with this woman. He's doing what a man is supposed to do. And of course, he's actually not doing any. He's not doing anything doing at wrong. all. He's he's just show, he's showing you right that like this is my mom's chair. This is our table. You know, he's, he just he wouldn't even know what to do. He's like a dog with a car. He wouldn't even know what to do with a woman if he got her alone, you know, in the in the first place. And yep. she's clearly also interested in him and, and, you know, is looking for him to make a move. And he doesn't he doesn't know how. But you can see it through the lens of his mom's eyes when she when she comes in and she's looking around. He has to make the awkward introduction between yeah. the two of them that um, y- you would. It's an interesting wrinkle in the movie. You think that the wrinkle is that he can't meet a woman. The, the wrinkle is that the community really doesn't want him to. <laughs> well, that right. And his mother tries to, oh, you have a, have a chicken in the icebox, right? And then he has embarrassed. Now, meanwhile, his friend Ralph is out with the nurses and he tells us, well, one got so drunk, we had to sneak out of the window. And so that's going on at the same time. And that's what that's what kind of his world wants Marty to be. So I love, I, I, you reminded me, I forgot how great it is that he says, this is our table. And this is, would you like to sit down? He, do what, he offers her the chicken in the icebox. Like he doesn't even know what to do with her, right? And of course, you're right. He can't win because he wants he wants everyone's approval. And he, he keeps thinking, like, what's wrong with me? He says at one point, like, whatever women like, I don't have it. And he's kind of like resigning himself to be a bachelor. And then, and then he, you know, he calls Mary Feeney and hates himself for doing it because he feels even worse. He yells at his mother, if I go to the Starland Ballroom with all the tomatoes, I'm just going to get more and more heartbreak, right? So his mother comes in. She's kind of like looking at the girl. Okay, Marty's doing what I wanted to do, right? And then you think, okay, it's going to work. And then, of course, 10 minutes later, you know, she's giving him grief because why? Remember why she gives him grief? No. She's not Italian. She's not Italian girl. I don't, I don't really like her. And she starts talking like her sister. These college girls are they're one step away from the gutter. So the guy is like, come on. And that's why it's that's why it's great also. And I guess we'll talk about this at the ending about how the tension goes right up to the last moment. So welcome back. In part three, we always talk about the title or the ending and how the film leaves the viewer. So Mike, what's your take on the ending? I think it would be easy for this movie to have an ironic ending, something like The Graduate, where somebody makes a big statement and then they run away and then they realize that they don't actually want to be together anyway. And they, have, they have nothing to say. And, you know, something like that, some some kind of pessimistic worldview is that you're is that you're always trapped. And I think that this movie, again, offers a, what I would call like a very realistic vision um, that that they seem very happy together. They yeah. do seem like they're meant to be together, but it's not a, it's not a Romeo and Juliet passion. It's not the the passion that burns the world down or that you kill yourself over, you know, you, you'd kill yourself for lack of it. And it's, you know, it, like happiness is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah. And you're, you, you only get to see maybe the first, the first glimpse of the first mile, but there is something very satisfying about it. And even though, as you said, that the tension goes all the way to the end. And I, I think you'll touch on that. Uh, you, you see enough that the movie gives the impression of length. Some movies seem like they end. Uh, at, some movies go on too long, right? The movies right. actually ended. The camera keeps rolling. We've done a few of those. Right. <laughs> uh, so, some movies um, do keep their attention right up to the end. But when they end, the world ends like Das 
boat or something yeah. like that. <laughs> M- Marty gives the impression that the world the world of Marty just goes on and on yep. and on and on, but the camera's clicked off. And you're happy to have seen it, right? Now they are. It's uh, it's great how you said, like you know, they're not going to kill themselves over this, but they are certainly kindred souls, right? I mean, she's going to actually. They're both with their parents. They're both kind of like prisoners of that mentality. She's going to take the job. He's going to buy the butcher shop. So, but um. You know, at the end, you're right. It's not the graduate. It's not ironic. And it, the movie goes to like, there's like, a, you see her crying watching, you know, your hit parade home alone with her parents on Saturday night, the tears on her face. Then you see him in the bar. And then at the, and then he finally, finally gets the courage up to go to the phone booth. He says, what am I doing here? Right. And so when he goes to that phone booth, I love how he closes the door on Angela and them. And you don't get to hear the phone call. Like that's such a great move, isn't it? Like you don't get to see him. And, and it, you know what? Kayevsky could have written it. It would have been awesome. Ernest Borgnine could have done a great job on that, but it's great how he just, he just shuts the door from all that. And it's like the next step in his, his, his becoming less Marty like. Yeah. Speaking of David Mamet, there's a great scene in the verdict that we talked about where you don't hear the conversation either. And there's just, there are certain things uh, that must happen for the plot, but that audience members shouldn't be privy to for for whatever reason, but you're right. But, but in this case, it becomes a sign of maturity. Yeah, it's too private. Like we've already seen Marty tell us some awful things and that's the lump on our throat, right? But there, it's so funny how like once he closes that and then of course you get, hey, Marty, hey, Marty, how are you? You get the Marty song and you, like you're genuinely happy. Only 90 minutes have gone by, but you're right. It seems like you've been with them much, much longer and that you really did get a, like a glimpse of, of human beings doing their thing. But of course, it's the right ninety minutes, right? It's it's ninety right. minutes. It's ninety minutes it's with a, with a, draw, a drawing so believable that it could carry you through through the tensest moments. And once the tension has been released, the wires on the bomb have been cut. You know, you you don't get this. You don't get the scene like after they've blown up the Death Star where they walk in to receive their you know their their, their Wookiee medals. Uh, you know, the 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 universe of the film knows that you've had enough, but that doesn't mean that it ends. It gives the impression that it goes on. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's the economy of it, right? Like, so for example, you and I know that you like John Cheever as much as I do. And we are both great admirers of that story reunion, which as you know, in a page and a half does the work of a novel. You read that story reunion and all the listeners out there read it. You can find it everywhere. It's a great story. It's about a page and a half and it does the job of a novel. Wouldn't you say, Mike? Yeah. It's like 1100 words, but it it gives the, the impression of the, of the one moment that actually counts. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed our conversation about Marty. We hope you'll go watch it again. If you've never seen it before, you're in for a real treat. Thanks for listening, everybody. You could follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. You can now follow us on Facebook at 15 Minute Film Fanatics. Let us know what we should watch. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>